Good morning. Glad to be the house of the Lord. Say, I am. am. We're glad you're here. If you are new to Go Church, I'm not Pastor JC. Uh, There are at least three things that separate us. Number one's about 20 years. Number two is I wear socks when I preach. (laughs) And number three is I'm not nearly as long-winded as he is. So uh, you will enjoy lunch a bit earlier today than you normally do. Uh, It's good to be in the Lord's house, as always. Uh, To those watching online, welcome. Thank you for being here. Those at Montgomery County and to my people on the west side, what's up? And uh, uh, Pastor J.C. is not with us, as you most of you know, his stepfather passed away, and yesterday they had his home-going service. So we're going to take time right now uh, to say a prayer for Pastor and for his family uh, during this time that they're walking through. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the gift of your son and all that means to us, the gift of your Holy Spirit that is our comforter, our guide, our instructor. And Father, we thank you for our pastor, uh, JC. We thank you for his leadership, for his love for you, for his compassion for others. And we pray now that you would show your love and compassion to JC, to his mom, his brother, his sister, to all the extended family uh, during the home going of his stepdad. We just ask that angels would be with them to comfort them, to minister to them that they would know that they are safe in your arms and that you are caring for them in profound ways. And Father, for our time together now, we pray that you would bring alive your word, that you would make it resonate within our spirits and cause something to stir inside of us that would allow us to believe that not only are you a God of miracles, but you're a God of miracles in our life, that you're a God of miracles in our situations and in our circumstances. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we continue the series, second installment of the series about the God of miracles. And Psalm 77, 14 was on the screen. You are a God of miracles. You are a God who performs wonders among your people. Pretty powerful statement. And so I have the honor of sharing with you this morning. I have the challenge of following the bishop who preached last week. And uh, our third daughter, Kenzie, uh, is due with our 10th grandchild day after tomorrow. And so she's sitting right over here. So if you hear cries and screams let me know and I'll run over there and we'll have a baby so uh (laughs) grandchild number 10 coming there grandchild number 11 coming in July so it's why it looked like this but anyway um but I I, I get to follow the bishop and Kenzie was at home last week they watched it online and she texted our family and she said the bishop is bringing the fire today right and then she said and he is also chastising the people for not responding to the fire like they need to and so this morning, respond, so, or else I'll have the bishop stand and chastise you again. Do you believe he is a God of miracles? Say amen. amen. Do you believe he's a God of miracles for you? Amen. Have you ever experienced a miracle? Amen. I remember my, the first miracle I remember in my life. So I grew up in a pastor's home. Dad was a, a wonderful man of God. We pastored churches all in the mountains and rural parts of Virginia. Had a great time growing up. And I remember when I was nine years old, the first miracle I ever experienced personally, I woke up when I was nine years old, I woke up in the middle of the night one night, burning up with fever, pain from my waist down, and and was paralyzed from my waist down. Couldn't move my legs, couldn't move my feet, couldn't move a toe. So they rushed me to the hospital, and the doctors came in and did all the tests, and uh, while they were doing that, my fever was like 106. They were dipping me in ice baths, which is not very much fun. Anyway, dipping me in ice baths for a certain amount of time, take me out, put me back in. Finally, the doctors came in, told my parents, they said, he has rheumatic fever. 
and there's a high likelihood he'll never walk again. All the nerves in his legs have been damaged and may suffer permanent heart damage. As a nine-year-old, that's not all that exciting, by the way, to think that you may never walk again, that your heart could be damaged. And so I knew that dad and mom prayed. I knew that they had prayed for miracles and healings as I was growing up, and I knew that they had testified about those. But again, at seven, eight, nine, I didn't have a clear understanding of all that. But I remember for the next several days as I was in the hospital, dad and mom would take turns. I had my two brothers were already born. My little sister's not yet born, but they would take turns sitting at the bedside in this hospital in Radford, Virginia, Virginia, praying over and over and over. And every time I would wake up, they had me sedated, but every time I would wake up, either dad or mom would be sitting by the bed, hands laid on me, praying and asking God for a miracle. And the doctors would come by every day for several days and go, we're not seeing any improvement, we don't have anything optimistic to share, boom, boom, boom. We just kept having these same conversations. And I don't know exactly what day it was, four or five days in, in the middle of the night, I woke up and there was no pain. I'm like, huh. And then I realized that my legs were folded. They were bent in the bed. And I went, well, that's pretty cool. They hadn't bent for the last several days, been stiff. So I just threw the covers back and stood up. And Dad happened to be in the room. And my dad comes from old-time Church of God, Pentecostal, Spirit-filled holiness. And he's like, whoo-hoo-hoo. <laughs> he started dancing all over the hospital room, right? Shouting and speaking in tongues. The nurses come running. Dad wants to start a healing line in the hallway at 3 o'clock in the morning. All I knew was I was nine and I could walk. I was nine, I could run. There was no more. I never had another issue with it since. Perfect heart, no issues whatsoever. I went for my executive physical a few couple months ago. They said, physiologically, you're 10 years younger than you are chronologically. They said, your heart's in perfect shape. And I said, well, of course it is. Because when I was nine, the God of miracles showed up in my hospital room and decided to touch me, right? And many of you have walked that journey as well. You've had miracles of healing, miracles of restoration of family, financial miracles, emotional miracles, mental health miracles. And God is still the God of miracles. And he is still performing miracles today. There are those who would like to tell us in dispensationalism that miracles have passed away, that when the apostles died, the miracles ceased. Well, I'm here to say that there weren't any apostles around when I was nine, but there was a God of miracles around, and he's still doing miracles today. Now, I'd like to have a little subtitle inside of the God of Miracles sermon title this morning, and I'd like to talk to us for a few minutes about the making of miracles, all right, the making of miracles. And I believe there are three or four things that if you and I will choose to do these things, that we better position ourselves to be in a position to receive a miracle from God. I actually think that it is a little bit inappropriate for us to just live our lives as we wish to, and then when we need a miracle, show up and expect God just to respond to our request on the fly. I think we should position ourselves as though a miracle could occur any day because we are in such right relationship with God. Now let me preface what I'm going to say with a couple things. Number one, if you're in the house and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you're not really in a position to be a candidate for a miracle from God. Right? He gives his miracles primarily to those of us who have already accepted him. So if you're not in a right relationship with God, before this service is over, I would encourage you to run to the cross and receive the saving grace of Jesus Christ presented to us on the cross. 
The second thing is that if you have allowed yourself to move to a place of complacency or lukewarmness with God, I would encourage you to do according to the writings in the book of Revelation and return to your first love and do your first works again. I, yesterday we drove down to uh, Thomaston, Georgia. My brother runs our city of refuge campus down there and his daughter uh, got engaged yesterday and so they were having an engagement party. Now again, most of y'all have heard me speak before. I grew up in the mountains of Virginia. We're not real sophisticated. And my brother, who grew up just like me, told us that we were going to participate and share in the joys of a charcuterie board with fruit-infused water. And I disowned him from the family on the spot. Right? I, I need some meat. So anyway, but driving back from down there, there was this sign on the side of the road, homemade sign. Just stand on the side of the road and said, don't be lukewarm. Just out of the blue, don't be lukewarm. So if you're here this morning, you're lukewarm. You're not as positioned for a miracle as those in the house that are on fire. Right? The closer we are up to the God of miracles, the more likely the God of miracles is going to dump something out on us. Right? And so if you're here this morning, you can run to the cross if you need to. You can return to the cross if you need to. And if those of us here that hope we have a right relationship with God are in that, I think we're candidates for a miracle. There's a story that many of you know in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 19 to 21. I want to share a little bit and then talk about four quick things with you. So Elijah went from there and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his coke around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come go with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha went back, left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and he gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. There are four things inside these two verses of Scripture that I think help us to see how we position ourselves for the making of a miracle or multiple miracles. Number one, I think it's important that we stay faithful to our current assignment. So we stay faithful to our current assignment. What was Elisha doing when Elijah showed up? He was doing what he did every day. He was plowing the field. It was his job. It was his assignment. He was hooking the oxen up to the yoke every day, and they were going out and breaking up fallow ground, removing the briars and the thistles, removing the rocks, getting the rows ready to plant the seed. He was doing his daily responsibility. I don't know what all was going on in Elisha's life at the moment, but he knew he had responsibilities, so he was fulfilling those. There are a bunch of us in the room this morning that need a miracle, right? Let me tell you what I think the first thing that sets the way for a miracle to come is do the regular stuff the right way over and over and over. So when we rise in the morning, the first thing we should do is what? Speak to the Father. For years now, years and years and years, the first thing I do every morning before I open my eyes, when I start to come to my senses, before I open my eyes, I pray the Lord's Prayer every single morning. I pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then I ask him, give me today my daily bread. And I'm not one of those people that pray a long laundry list of all the miracles I need. I just say, I might need more bread today than I did yesterday. So bring me an extra loaf if you don't mind, Lord. Sometimes I say, today I need a truckload, right? Sometimes we need more bread than we did yesterday. But every day I start with talking to him. 
We should continue to do the same things, the routine things, while we're waiting on our miracle. Right? We should be in his word. We should be in a place of worship. We should be in a place of servanthood. Daily, Elisha got up and just went back to the field and plowed. So most of you know that we're downtown Atlanta. We run City of Refuge now. It has 10 locations around the country. God's done incredible things. But for 14 years before the 26 years we've been downtown, I just did the regular things. I did what I was supposed to do. I got up in the morning and I went to my church office. I was on youth pastor, associate pastor, a couple different places over those 14 years. And I would go and I would plan discipleship programs or youth trips or mission trips at various places in the country. I would speak when it was my turn to speak. I would baptize people in water. I would do the things I was supposed to do. Often during those 14 years, I would look at Rhonda and go, is this all there is? I'm, I, I feel like there's something else. I feel like there's different. I feel like there's unique. I feel like there's out of the box. And she would often say to me, well, just ask God and keep doing what you're doing. Just be faithful in the mundane. Be faithful in the regular. Be faithful in the boring. Be faithful in the consistent disciplines. And that positions us and equips us and prepares our heart when God has something bigger for us. So for somebody this morning, you're waiting on a miracle and you think you got to give a heave offering somewhere and you got to go do this and you got to go to the mountain and pray for days and days. Well, if God tells you to, that's fine. But I think what you really ought to do is just get up today and be a son or his daughter again in really strong, powerful, unique fashion and see what God will do as you can move along in that journey. The second thing that I believe is showed to us in this story is that we need to respond when God issues the invitation. Right? So Elisha walks along. Elijah walks along. He sees Elisha in the field, and he just throws his cloak on him. I have no idea what the symbolism of that is. I could look up Greek words or Hebrew words or Aramaic words and tell you all kind of stuff, and you'd think I'm smart. The fact is, I have no idea why he put his cloak on Elisha. He just did. And Elisha took that as a sign that he's supposed to follow him. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never had anybody just walk by and take their jacket off and put it on me. Right Where I hang out in the hood, if they walk by and put their jacket on me, I'm going to assume they stole something and it's in the pockets right now. Right? I, I don't know why the jacket, I don't know why the cloak, I don't know why the garment initiated this response in Elisha's life, but it did. Something about the, the process of putting the cloak on ignited something inside of his heart. Listen, I believe in our 815 service this morning, and by the way, when J.C. asked me to preach, I forgot I had to do this three times today. You know, I'd have said no. But anyway, so it's a lot of work, Alan. I'm telling you. <laughs> this, but but in, in the 815 service, Pastor David was here. The cloak of the Lord moved through the house. The Spirit of the Lord moved through the house. There were things happening in the house. There were people saying, I feel something inside of me. I believe in this service right now, 945 service, the Spirit of the Lord has already moved through here during our worship. The Spirit of the Lord also moved here during the Word. The Spirit of the Lord will move through here during the prayer time at the end. And somebody in this house is going to feel the cloak of the garment of Almighty God set down on you, and you're going to respond to that on your way to your miracle. 
right? Sometimes God drops his cloak on us and it's so uncomfortable we flip it off, right? We brush it off. We drop it on the ground. Sometimes we're uncomfortable with it. We don't know what to do and we try to wear it and stay where we are. Sometimes we say, this doesn't fit me. Sometimes we say, this is not my style or my color, God. I don't understand what's going on. Listen, when the Lord drops a cloak on your shoulders, you better just drop whatever you're doing and follow wherever the Lord wants you to go because there is a plan and a promise and a purpose and it just might result in your miracle that you've been waiting on for a long time when you follow him. The cloak of the Lord, and God, listen, God decides when the cloak gets dropped on us what it looks like and what the result is. One of the reasons I think miracles have not occurred as often in my life as I wanted them to, and I assume have not occurred as, as often in your life, is because we start dictating to God what the miracle is supposed to look like. We tell him when it's supposed to happen, what it's supposed to look like, and what the end result's supposed to be. And when what we tell God we want doesn't align with what God has already designed, he takes, he takes what we ask him and he says, well, that's not what I was designing to give you. That's not your plan and your purpose. So I'll wait till you align with who I am and what I have desired for you. We get frustrated with God when he doesn't give us what we ask for and sometimes he knows what we're asking for might kill us. He knows what's best, right? And so what we need to do is come to this place of going, God, you know what? Here's a situation in my life. I don't mind telling you what I would like to see happen, but more importantly than that, I would like for your perfect will to be done in this situation. I would like for you to do what you want to do, how you want to do it, and when you want to do it, and I will trust you because you are perfect in all of your ways. And so we come along, and listen, here's the thing that I really like about the Father is he's not this, this hesitant to give God. He's not a stingy God. He's not one who wants to hold things to himself. In 2 Chronicles chapter 16, and verse number 9, one of my favorite verses of Scripture, many of you can quote, says, The eyes of the Lord, the eyes of Yahweh, the eyes of Jehovah God Almighty are roaming to and fro throughout the earth looking for those that are looking for him because he desires to do good for them. Man, how cool is that? The God of all the universe is looking around inside the sanctuary at Go Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia this morning going, I'm looking for who's looking for me. I'm, I'm desiring those who are desirous of me. I, I want to have relationship with those who want to have relationship with me because I am a good God. I got a whole bunch of good stuff stacked up and I'd like to share some of that good stuff with the good people who are looking for me. Too often when I'm looking for a miracle, too often when you're looking for a miracle, we're looking at the crisis or the sickness or the brokenness or the struggle. We keep looking at it going, God, fix this, fix this, fix this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his face. Then the cares of this world will pass away, right? When we compare it to him, I got to stop looking at my sickness and looking at my struggle and looking at my pain and looking at my brokenness. And I got to get up and I go, go, I have to see you. I have to look upon your face. I have to see the goodness of who you are. When I look at him, my pain, my sorrow, my disappointment shrinks. It, it, it just because It's just not that big a deal when I look at the God of all creation. Right? Stop focusing your energy and effort on what's wrong and focus on the one who can take what's wrong and make it right. He's looking for us this morning. When we went downtown almost 26 years ago on a temporary six-week assignment, you've heard that story. A few weeks into that, we realized that God was dropping a cloak on us. 
Four week, four months into this six-month assignment, we walk in there, a hundred drug addicts, alcoholics, homeless folks looking at us, going, can you help us? And a cloak had been dropped on us. The Spirit of the Lord had passed by. Now we had to decide. Are we going to follow the Spirit of the Lord or are we going to go back to the place where we were comfortable, where we are known and where we know? Or are we going to follow the Lord to a place of unknownness or are we going to stay in our place of familiarity? And we had to decide what to do. These hundred people are just, they invited each other. We didn't invite them to church. We're like, you know, Jesus, go to church somewhere else. I got to get back to my life. But God passed through with the cloak and says, come go over here. And, and as you've heard me say, I drew my deep theological training and I looked at Ron and I said, we've been conned by God, woman. Conned by God. We were asked to go downtown for six weeks. God's tricky that way, by the way. Right? He doesn't ask us always to do stuff for the rest of our life because he knows we would say no to the rest of our life. We're not bold enough and brave enough. So he asks us to do something for a day or a week or a month. And once we say yes to a day or a week or a month, I think he stands up and high fives Jesus and Holy Spirit and goes, We got them now, boys. We got them now. Here they are. They think they're going for a minute. We got them for a lifetime. Right? The cloak you got, when he comes by, we have to move. There was no promise of success, no promise of assurance, no promise that anything would ever work out. There was just the Holy Spirit saying, come go with me. So we need to do the right things the right way over and over and over, continue being faithful in the little things. We have to respond when we hear the call of the Spirit. The third thing I, have, I think that's important if we're going to be part of making of miracles and see those come to our life is we have to develop an attitude of abandoning the familiar. We have to develop an attitude of abandoning the familiar, right? Elisha says this in these two verses of Scripture. He says to Elijah when he feels the cloak and he knows he's supposed to follow him, he says, let me go kiss my father and my mother. Elisha understands and senses in his spirit that he may never come this way again. He realizes he may never see his mom and dad again. He realizes that if he follows Elijah, this could be an abandonment of the familiarity of his life, and he goes to kiss his parents. I wonder how many of us are willing to abandon that which is familiar in order to experience that which is surreal. Are we willing to give up the routine in order to experience the miraculous? Are we willing to walk out of the normalcy and the complacent mind and steps of our life in order to see and hear and feel God do something that we've never seen before, to hear something we've never heard? And the truth of the matter is, and this is not, this is not fussing at any of us, but the truth is that the majority of believers are unwilling to give up the familiar in order to experience something exceptional. We know that we're coming to church at 9.45 on Sunday. We know that we're going to sing four songs. And after the third song, we know that one of the pastors is going to come and they're going to lead us in prayer. And we know the prayer team's going to line up and we can come down and share our needs. And we know that then there's going to be a couple videos. And we know that then the pastor or the guest preacher or the crazy guy from the hood is going to come talk to us for a little while. And then we know there's going to be a closing prayer. And we're going to go out in the foyer and we're going to shake hands and pat people on the head and say, have a good week. And nothing wrong with any of that unless we expect God to respond just in the program that we've put together. 
if we expect God to operate only in the familiar format that we have built, then God is going, hey, by the way, I wasn't created by man, and I'm not going to be controlled by man. Right? I'll move when I want to move, how I want to move, where I want to move. And that's not saying he won't move because he will move in the middle of that. But if you, if you box him in and say you have to speak to me during that an hour and a half on Sunday morning, you're losing all kind of opportunity for the voice of God. If you say my prayers have to be answered when I join the prayer team, then you're missing all kind of experiences and opportunity that God has for us. Breaking out of the familiar sometimes can allow us to experience a level of faith increase that suddenly sees God do things we never thought he would do. I wonder if we're really willing to break out of the familiar or not. Many of you know the story in 2 Kings chapter 6 where the Ark of the Covenant is now being brought back to the city of David where it belongs. It's been gone for a long time now. Miracles have ceased in the city of David. Favor's no longer there. They're bringing the Ark of the Covenant back. David is leading the group as they bring him back. The Ark of the Covenant, the place of miracles, the place of favor, the place of promise, the place of power is being reestablished and David is losing his ever-loving mind. He's, in, he's excited, he's motivated, he's energized. The Ark of the Covenant, the Spirit of the Lord is coming back home. And the scripture says that David was dancing with all of his might in front of the Lord in verse number 14. In verse number 16, the scripture says that Michael, his wife, is looking out the window and she sees David dancing before the Lord in all, with all of his might. And the scripture says she despised him in her heart. Her husband is the king, and they're servant girls, and they're soldiers, and they're citizens of the land. And David's having his own personal party. And the scripture says in verse number 20 that when David came home at the end of the day to bless his household, that his wife looked at him and says, How embarrassing was the king today? Dancing in front of the servant girls. And I love the response. In my translation of the scripture, David says, Hush, woman. <laughs> anyway, that's just what it says. He says, let me tell you something right now. I wasn't dancing in front of you. And I wasn't dancing in front of the servant girls. And I wasn't dancing in front of your dad, who, by the way, God decided that I was going to be king instead of him or anybody else in his household. And I wasn't dancing in front of the soldiers. And I wasn't dancing in front of the citizens of the land. I was dancing in front of the Lord God Almighty, who now has brought his presence back to my house. And he danced before the Lord. And I just wonder this morning. I just wonder if you knew in your heart that if you just jumped up and started dancing before the Lord God Almighty right now that he would give you every miracle you've ever prayed for. Would you be willing to break out of the familiar and do that? If God said run around the building nine times and everybody's looking at you like you're crazy, would you run around the building nine times in order to see your miracle come? If God instructed you to give up food for the next 7, 10, 14 days in order to see miracles, would you give up food? If God said tithe 20% for the rest of our 90-day tithe challenge instead of 10% and I'll bring you miracles, would you do that? If God said stand up and prophesy that which you have not yet seen come to pass and believe in your heart that it will happen, would you break out of the familiar to see the miraculous take place? Hallelujah! Will we break out of the familiar? Elisha said, I'm kissing mom and daddy goodbye because I may never be here again. There's something you need to kiss goodbye this morning. There's something I need to kiss goodbye. Think about what it is. Some of us need to kiss, by, kiss goodbye that attitude we've been carrying around so long. 
We got attitude running out the wazoo, whatever that is. And we need to kiss the attitude goodbye. Some of us need to kiss our anger goodbye. Some of us need to kiss our bitterness goodbye. Some of us need to kiss our self-righteous spirit goodbye. Some of us need to kiss our religiosity goodbye. Some of us need to kiss our doubt, our fear, our anxiety. We need to kiss some stuff we've become familiar with. We need to kiss it goodbye. And we need to say, hello, Jesus, take me and create in me a new heart so that I can become more like you and experience the miracles that you have for me. Yeah, JC told me one time not long ago. He said, "He said, Bruce, I feel like my people really like when you preach." And I said, "Well, good. I thought because he was saying I was anointed and insightful and had the word of the Lord." He said, "They feel like that you might cuss just any moment, and they just all love it." <laughs> and every now and then, I want to go ah, break the familiar. Figure out what God has for us. Let's go to a new place and experience something we've never experienced before. Listen, when we get to this place where we break out of familiar, God will do all kinds of things, some of which make us uncomfortable, some of which make us laugh, and some which bring us great blessing. We get downtown to this church, and I've shared that story with you before. We move into this 65-year-old church building with our girls. All kind of fun, cool stuff happened. One of the things that, that was unfamiliar to us was taking communion with people from the street. So they're homeless, they're addicts, they're prostitutes, they carry STDs, they haven't bathed in a long time, and so we're going to take communion. And around here we do communion, especially since COVID, all churches do, we do communion in a real sterile manner, right? So we get our little cup, we peel back, we take that nasty tasted little wafer out, that residue stays in your mouth for a week or so, and then we take a shot, right? So that's, that's and it's cool, and, and we love the Lord, we bless the Lord. But at the Mission and City of Refuge, for years, we did communion by intention, right? And intention just means that there's one cup of juice, there's a loaf of bread, and everybody comes by and breaks off a piece of the loaf of bread and dips it in the cup and takes it. And so we all do the same thing. We all break off of the same loaf of bread, dip in the same cup. My wife, Ron, to be with us in the next service, was not a fan of communion by intention, Right? And I said, well, darling, God sanctifies the bread and the, wine, the cup, the juice. She goes, I know, but not everybody who takes the sanctified bread and dips it in the sanctified juice is sanctified themselves. Right? And so as we do communion, Rhonda would always be the first one to the communion cup. So she's going to get the purest of the communion cup. Right? So she was always first. Well, one Sunday, Josephine beat her to the communion cup. Now, Josephine, uh, drug addict, prostitute, worked street corner. She showed up this Sunday morning in nothing but a halter top and some fishnet stockings and sat on the front row. Rhonda's on that end. Josephine's right there where Arlene is. We start communion. <laughs> One of my elders, Richard, he has the cup and the bread, and I call people forward, and Josephine beat Rhonda to the cup. Josephine broke the bread off, put it inside her mouth, and Richard went, you have to dip it. She took it back out, <laughs> dipped it, and took communion. And Richard said, I looked at Rhonda, and she was like, oh. <laughs> He said, Rhonda came over and broke off this minuscule piece of bread touched it to the cup and said, oh, Jesus. It was, it was an unfamiliar 
experience because all of a sudden our neighbors, our friends, our congregation didn't look like us or sound like us or smell like us. We went to an unfamiliar place and had an unfamiliar experience in order to see the glory of God revealed. Now, I can't tell you this for sure, but I have this desire in my heart that that Sunday morning is the Sunday morning that Josephine prayed a prayer and accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of her life. It was an unfamiliar environment for us, but something drew her from the street corner into that sanctuary, the Spirit of the Lord. God dropped a cloak on her that morning, and she came in the house, and at the end of the service, she took the body of Christ and the blood of the Lamb, and I believe that she's with Him now. See, sometimes you just got to go to the unfamiliar. We're asleep in the house. We're living in this church. We're asleep one morning, and it's 3 o'clock or so in the morning. There's a banging on the door. So I go to the door. I go, who is it? Guy goes, hey, I'm hungry. I need some food. I said, well, come back at daylight. Five minutes later, he's banging on the door again. Five minutes later, the door again. Finally, I just said, meet me in the back parking lot. And so I just pulled on a pair of shorts, went in the back parking lot. I said, what do you want? He said, I want $3. I said, for what? He said, I need some food. I just got out of jail. I'm hungry. And this wasn't my best moment as a pastor. I just said, listen, I'm going to count to three, and if I can still see you, we're going to roll around this parking lot. And he said, well, before we do, let me tell you while I was at, why, why I was in jail. I said, all right. He said, five years ago, I was at my mama's house. I saw a man slap her in the face, and I thought, okay. He said, the next day when that man came to my mama's house, he opened the closet to hang up his jacket. I was in the closet, and I commenced to stabbing him 17 times. And I said, well, let me tell you something right now. You just wait right there and I'm going to go get you $3. (laughs) See, I was in an unfamiliar situation. And I had to decide what my response was going to be. I brought him a $5 bill, just to tell you the truth. We got to break familiarity. The last thing we have to do, I think, is we have to destroy whatever might be holding us back. We need to destroy Whatever might be holding us back. Listen, here's what the scripture says. Elisha took his plowing equipment and he burned it. And he killed the oxen and he cooked them. It's all Elisha knew how to do. It had been his profession was plowing the field, growing a crop. And he wanted to make sure that the tools of income and the tools of industry and the tools of him making a living were not tempting to him anymore. He burnt them with fire and he killed the oxen so that he had nothing to come back to. Some of us need to destroy some things in our lives today. We need to destroy them and burn them in fire and leave them in the ash pit of deliverance. Somebody in this house, you've been battling addiction way too long. You've tried a bunch of resources. You hide it from your friends and your family. And this morning, I believe God is going to drop the cloak on you and he's going to give you the power and the strength to destroy that thing that's been holding you back. Some of you have been hurt and wounded by a former spouse or a father or a pastor or somebody that abused you or neglected you or dropped you and you've been carrying around that place of woundedness in your heart way too long. And I believe this morning is going to help you destroy that and burn it and drop it in the ash pit of deliverance. I got a couple of buddies of mine from Ohio. I drove down this week. They're military, former military guys and now they're martial arts. They train and they compete and 
through all kind of stuff. And they came down to teach women who live in House of Cherith, our survivor, sex trafficking survivor program, came down to teach them survival skills and self-defense skills and how to get out of difficult situations. And, and Mitchell, he said, Bruce, we could teach them a lot of things. He said, but basically what we're going to teach them is how you go for the eyes, the throat, and break some fingers. And I said, well, hallelujah, let's go. And so we get in, we got these 20, 25 women in a workout center yesterday, and these two guys are there, and they're teaching them, and they're teaching them how to go for the eye, go for the throat, break the fingers. And we get through that, we're two or three hours into that, and one of the girls starts, she gets emotional, and she starts uh, choking up a bit. And she says, I remember when I was being trafficked, and I was under a bridge right here in Atlanta. And I'd been trafficked, and the man, the man that had raped me now tried to beat me up, physically beat me down, so that, and threatened me with my life so that I don't tell the story about who it was. And she said, now if that ever happens again, I know how to go for the eyes and the throat and break some fingers. Now, I don't know what kind of God you serve, but here's the kind of God I want to serve. I want to serve the God that when addiction shows up, when pain shows up, when sorrow shows up, when disappointment shows up, when the enemy shows up, I want the God of angel armies to stand up and go after the enemy's eyes and punch him in the throat and break some fingers and destroy the yoke of bondage in the lives of those around us. He burns it with fire and he kills his source of income so that there's nothing left except to follow Elijah. There's nothing left. I'm telling you. I know you can say, well, you're my, I, listen, I want to live my life in such a way that there's nothing holding me back from following where the Spirit of the Lord would lead me. There's not a job, there's not an income, there's not a personality, there's not some disappointment. There's nothing in my life that will hold me back from where he wants me to go. Now, 26 years later, we decided years ago, we're going to keep doing the things we do the right way. When the Spirit of the Lord passes by, we're going to follow him. We're going to break out of the familiar, right? We're going to do things differently. We're going to destroy those things which have held us behind in the past. And now, 26, almost 26 years later, we've seen unbelievable miracles. The drug addicts have been set free, the alcoholics delivered, those that have been trafficked, been loved on and cared for over 900 women now, sons and daughters are graduating high school that otherwise would not have, we're in 10 locations around the country, God's done us incredible favors, last weekend Pastor JC and Kimberly were with us, I took 50 couples down to a little resort down in South Georgia, we told them our story and asked them to invest $4.3 million given to the ministry, last week a miracle of God a miracle of God a miracle of God. If you've been around church for a minute, you know what I'm about to tell you. Scripture records Elijah being a part of 14 miracles in the making. Four, that's a lot of miracles. A lot of miracles. Elisha followed him, prayed for a double portion. Scripture records Elisha being a part of 28 miracles in the making. I don't know about you, and this is not prideful, and I think every one of us ought to feel, feel like this. I don't want to be Elijah. I want to be Elisha. I don't want to settle for a single portion. I want a double portion. And by the way, Lord, if there's such a thing as a quadruple portion, I'll take that as well. I'd like to have 56 miracles in the next year. How many in the house need a miracle? Raise your hand. You need a miracle in your family, your finances, your children are lost from God. Stand with me right quickly. Would you do that? 
Father God, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and by the power of your Holy Spirit that we sense in this house right now, I declare that miracles in the making are all over this house right now. I declare that, that Psalm 77, 14 is still real. You are the God who performs miracles. You are the God who works wonders. I declare again that 2 Chronicles 16, 9 is appropriate in this house. Your eyes are roaming to and fro this sanctuary right now, and you're looking for those that are looking for you because you want to do good for them. And so, Father, we will continue to do the right thing the right way. We will. We will do the right thing the right way. When you pass and you drop the cloak of your anointing on us, we will follow you where you ask us to go, Father God. We will break out of the familiar. If you tell us to do something so far out of the norm this week, in order to see a miracle, we will not question you. We will do what you ask us to do. And we will destroy those things that are holding us back. I speak miracles of healing. Hallelujah. I speak miracles of healing, physical healing in the house right now. Physical healing. By His stripes, we are healed. I speak emotional healing in the house right now. Places of pain and disappointment and weariness and woundedness are being healed by the Spirit of Almighty God. Right? Hallelujah. I speak reconciliation of broken relationships in this house right now. I declare the miracle that sons and daughters who have run so far from God that the parents are starting to doubt if they will ever come back. I declare today that the miracle of faith will be reignited, that they will begin to speak blessing over their sons and daughters. And God, I declare right now that those sons and daughters are on the way home. They just don't know it yet. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Father, I speak financial miracles into the lives of those that are struggling right now. And I believe that when you provide the financial miracle, they will become more generous so that greater miracles can be formed through the ministry of Go Church here in Montgomery County in the west side and everywhere else that they partner with ministries around the world. Father, you are the God of miracles. We are your sons and daughters, and we accept all that you have for us. Would you clap your hands and shout to God with a voice of triumph this morning?